Welcome back to the Starbase Indie Podcast, where we talk to and about people who are inspired by Star Trek or science fiction to work towards hopeful futures in the real world. I'm Shannon Eichhorn. I'm an aerospace engineer and a science fiction author. So your undergraduate degree is aerospace and mechanical engineering. Your graduate degree is in fine arts, focused on popular fiction. So how do those kind of fit together for you? So I had been writing science fiction. I'd been writing fan fiction throughout high school. Um, and I knew that I wanted to keep writing science fiction. And my parents were like, well, actually, you also need to feed yourself and you're not going to be able to live on a writing salary right out of high school. And I was like, what? Reality? That's terrible. Um, <laughs> so so I was looking at majors where I could um, tie it back into science fiction. And I was like, oh, if I study aerospace, then I can write better sci-fi. And I told myself that and then I actually studied it. And then I like don't write hard sci-fi. Um, and I don't want to write hard sci-fi. That's not what I read. That's not what I want to write. That's not the stories that I tell. But it, it gave me this systematic way of thinking um, to the point where my classmates were describing my world building as firm. And I've gotten a lot of good feedback on my world building from the first novel um, after publication. Um, so like science-wise, you can poke all sorts of holes in in my world building. Like I'm never going to explain how the FTL works. I'm never going to explain the power sources or the packaging or the propulsion or the energy storage because I can't tell a space opera story with hard sci-fi. Um, but it does make me do things like I'm going to sit down and think about all the requirements that go into my alien spaceships and how they want to use them and um, what systems need to be there even if I don't know how they work. Um, and I I just had to finish, for, for book three, I just had to finish the um, floor plan for the, the big motherships um, and work through this fight, this extended battle sequence um, that I really got to pull on all the different elements that went into it. And it, it, I think it makes it feel more real. I think it gives you a chance to see some unusual elements that just kind of logically happen that you don't really see from people who don't have that kind of background as often. That, that makes a ton of sense. You must have enjoyed the aerospace and mechanical engineering world a little bit too, or you wouldn't have. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I like the math. Um, I really am one of those weird people who likes algebra. Um, I find it very soothing. <laughs> That which is that's is fantastic <laughs> somebody needs to <laughs> um and so I, I find a lot of fun I like knowing how um everything works um and I like being able to apply it that that makes sense um you know science fiction talks a lot about scientists but a lot less about you know engineers and when you were at Starbase Indy a couple of years ago you talked a little bit about that so I'm gonna ask you a couple of questions but let's set the stage what what's the difference between a scientist and an engineer all right so when you start in undergrad in engineering um you you come up across all these um biases and stereotypes, like the stereotypical difference between scientists and engineers. The scientists are there and they want to know um, how things work and why things work. And the, the engineers just want to like do something with it. Um, 
that's that's an oversimplification oversimplification um but it, it's it's kind of a helpful way to look at it um in my job experience um where you can kind of look at the motivations for different people that you're working with on a team and say okay they're here because they're curious about what's going on and he's doing that because he just wants to make things happen and get it done um so who are some of your favorite fictional engineers so obviously uh dr samantha carter from stargate Mm -hmm. um you know they always refer to her as an astrophysicist, but let's look at the things that she's doing and the things that she's tinkering with and the way that she's analyzing things. She's an engineer. She's just getting stuff done. Um, <laughs> as far as other, Jet Reno from Discovery is just oh, yeah. absolutely fantastic. Um, she's just so practical and so sarcastic. And that's, I think... A lot of times we see engineers on screen and they're there because they needed a character to deal with a technical problem and they forgot to give them a personality. Um, <laughs> it's just like the antithesis of that. It's wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Good. One more favorite. Cause I had to like go and like look at my bookshelves. Cause you, you <laughs> asked this question and I was like, uh, engineers in books. I've read engineers in books I must have. And I found one (laughs) example um, that I like. um, And that's Tinker from one Spencer's Tinker series, which is actually urban fantasy. Um, But she's this junkyard owner. Pittsburgh is cut off from Earth on an elf world. And she has to like manage all the materials that are already made and like reuse them, repurpose them. And she she digs into the theory of how magic and technology interact, um, but she is there to make things happen. So what are the things people get wrong when they think about engineers, some of the misconceptions? So a lot of times people think about engineers and they're like, you have to be good at math. You have to, you know, be like Shannon and be obsessed with algebra. And, you know, my my husband's an engineer, too. We met in undergrad and he's absolutely terrible at arithmetic um like his his calculator ran out of batteries on a calc 2 test and he failed it like bad but he's an absolutely remarkable engineer um he's just curious about everything he digs into all sorts of things engineering has a lot of you know different disciplines we look at it you know kind of with blinders on most of the time and say there's mechanical and there's electrical and civil and and we're, we don't really acknowledge that they intersect. And he just looks at everything and puts it all together and says, well, actually, if you look at it with the combination of these things, then that means, um, and it's it's really kind of a powerful way to do it. Um, and it doesn't really have anything to do with the math. The math is just there to describe how things work. Once you understand how things work, yeah, you need the math to get the specifics right on a thing if you're actually designing it. But it's it's how you think about it that's the really important part. Yeah, that makes sense that engineering is kind of a discipline for how you think about the world. I'm not an engineer, but I am very engineer adjacent, both professionally and you know, my husband's an engineer. So it is it, it is a different way of, of approaching the world. Um, so another thing you talked about at Starbase was underrated jobs in STEM. So what are some of the underrated jobs in STEM? 
So I think normally when we talk about STEM, we talk about it again with blinders on. It is science and technology. And 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 when people say technology, they really mean like electronics, which is very confusing to me. Um, and engineering and mathematics. And they're, they don't look at it as a cohesive whole, all part of like describing the natural world and applying it. They look at it as these individual fields. And so they miss things like trade workers or um, um is blue collar workers still a, a good term i, 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 think so. I know what much. you mean um but skilled you know, trades skilled trades yeah. yeah um and especially in research fields you know where you're looking at machinists and fabricators and mechanical and electronics technicians like the they're very much on the like hands-on getting it done side of things, but they're also amassing really unique knowledge when they do that for these um, cutting edge research fields and systems. Um, and so, for example, if you're looking at, you know, a researcher designs a new type of material and let's give them extra credit, the researcher makes it too. In order to do anything useful with that material, he hands it off to, say, a machinist, and the machinist has this brand new material that isn't going to work the same way that any other material works on his machines. He doesn't know this, the feeds and the speeds that he needs to interact with, and he has to like learn that and learn how to work with the material. What Can you weld it? Can you um, wire EDM it? You know, There's all sorts of specialized knowledge that gets developed um, in those traits that I think really qualifies them as being considered part of STEM and often is overlooked and underpraised. Yeah, I would agree. A lot of the things that people uh, think of as unskilled is these days is incredibly skilled labor. Right. And, and it has a very technical perspective. And so you really are using STEM in all kinds of areas. So another thing that you've talked about is being a woman in STEM. And we kind of hear a lot about this being an ongoing challenge. So what impact has it had for you? I would say for me, it's had pretty minimal impact. Um, I've been really lucky. Good to places, hear, actually. <laughs> right? Um, the places that I've worked have been, um, have had a lot of women. And by a lot of women, I mean, I have sat in meetings and gone, wow, there are so many women here and counted and we got up to 30%. <laughs> so, so clearly I'm biased, but also that's, that's our standard for being really good. I've been on teams where uh, a five person mechanical engineering team was all women. Um, and so that, that happens and it's cool. Um, and it's thanks to all the women who went before us and, and, barged into those spaces like the the very cringeworthy scene with Dr. Carter and the Stargate pilot where she's like trying to prove herself and I did all these things and just because my reproductive organs are on the inside and you're like oh no please don't ever say that <laughs> um, but I imagine that there were the women who you know were there the first time had to like lay the smack down and be like no really this is senseless I deserve to be here. I'm just as good as anybody else. Um, yeah. And we know it was a major recruiting effort to get more women into, say, the space program. Mm -hmm. um, 
even though some of the data told us that it, biologically sending women into space, they they tolerate it better, right? And right. they had to sort of hide the uh, test results early on because they didn't like them. And so it, we may be like, well, these must be boy jobs, but there's not necessarily a lot of research to back that up. And I think um, Mary Robinette Kowal in her Lady Astronaut series books does such a good job of examining that and, and looking at um, how much cultural bias was driving these decisions that should have been analytical and should have been em emotionless, you know. I got um, to hear her uh, at a convention in... 2017 or 2018 uh, it was right before the first of the books came out and she was talking about how she was so grateful for the movie hidden figures because the the idea that women were in these roles was a surprise to people and that was the thing she hadn't made up in her books like that's real history and the some, I guess some of her early readers were like but will anyone believe these were women she's like well about that yeah. And I, I had a really great Twitter exchange with her after I read her first book, too, um, where I was like, you know, the husband here is the best thing ever because I never see this representation of these like supportive engineering yes. husbands. And and she's like, yeah, nobody believes that happens. And I'm like, but, but my husband, this was like this was like us. This felt so natural. Um, so clearly we have room to grow in representation in that way absolutely that that that, that was a good day for you <laughs> see your face you're all excited i would be too <laughs> i mean i was excited but also i think at that point she had already helped me launch my book and i'd already talked to her a couple times so it wasn't very out of the blue okay that's fair still i think it's cool <laughs> it is really cool she's so cool <laughs> In your bio, it talks about Samantha Carter being your role model. So in addition to following her footsteps, studying aerospace and mechanical engineering, how did her character influence you? I, I have a hard time looking back and, and picking out the ways apart from everything else, because I, I think I first saw Stargate at like eight or nine years old. <laughs> okay, fair. And then I, <laughs> I got back into it in eighth grade. Um, and I was lucky enough to grow up with a mom who was already in STEM. Um, so it's it's hard to like pick out like where did I get certain things? But I think she was such Samantha Carter was such a good example of this badass woman who is is allowed to be compassionate and emotional and also emotionally strong. Um, and the more I think about it, the the more I realize, gee, that's not all that common. Um, and I I just kind of like took it as a baseline, like, of course, everybody is like this. Um, and so I think that was a, a really good example and one that I try to emulate, you know, in as much as I'm not a fighter and I'm never going to be. Not everyone should be a fighter. We need other other character classes in the world. Right. So what other fictional characters have had a big influence on you? Um I get a lot of Dune quotes running through my mind, but it's not really particular characters. You know, the, the best place for water is in your body. Um, <laughs> the litany against fear. Um, the first character who came to my mind was uh, Ukiah Oregon from Wen Spencer's um, Alien Taste. 
he's that same in in the context of own voices conversations i'm not sure i can really recommend the book even though it's absolutely one of my favorites um but he is this um very young private investigator trying to figure out what in the world is going on with his life and just the whole story speaks of different kind of different kinds of love um he's got his first girlfriend he's got his father figure he's got his moms and his little sister and it's just he's the cinnamon roll of a character um and again a really good example and you know taking some time to look back at it a, a good way to buck gender norms um so i think you know i, I got to grow up i read that what, like halfway through high school and really got this kind of foundational sense of like boys can be gentle too that's that's a useful thing to know right um so i i saw a blog post where you talked about movies that you liked and you mentioned the arrival but you said you had some bones to pick with it so i'm just very curious because it's i i love that movie not that i think it's perfect but i was just curious what you're thinking it is an absolutely gorgeous movie um and it's a very interesting um, story and an interesting concept, but operational security. <laughs> you have one instant when somebody has access to phones, when I have no, I've never been in the military. I don't have close family members in the military, but even I have places where I'm not allowed to take my cell phone. And that is definitely one of those places where whoever is in charge wants to be in control of the message coming out of that situation why do these guys, I don't even entirely remember what happens. There's these guys and they're like kind of watching what happens and they're disagreeing with it. And they pick up the phone and call somebody and it ruins everything. Like, why do they have access to phones? This is such, such a like basic element of security when everything else was so carefully put together. It's funny where the blind spots are. And everybody has blind spots. Like, I mean, I know I do. Um, it's, you can't help it. You can get beta readers, but your beta readers have blind spots. And, you know, if they're people that you know, they probably correlate. And to some degree, some plot elements require <laughs> some things that wouldn't happen. Right. Sometimes to tell the story, you just got to shift reality a little bit. Let's talk about your book. Talk about your characters and, and the themes that you explore. I think your series is the um, Project, Project Black, Book. Black Book. I write about body-possessing aliens, flying saucers, and underfunded secret government projects. And that is my pitch for the series. Um, and I didn't realize when I embarked on that, that writing about body-possessing aliens and writing about this 14-year-old girl who gets kidnapped and has to and gets put in this position where she's either going to um, get an alien put in her that completely takes over her or an alien in her that takes over her only part of the time or just flat out gets killed. I didn't realize I'd be writing about consent. Um, but I had, you know, that blind spot and one of my critique partners pointed it out and was like, yeah, there's some parallels here. And I was like, that's not the story I wanted to tell. Um, <laughs> Apparently it was the story that wanted to be told through you, perhaps. I uh, I still struggle with this, obviously, um, because I, 
I don't want to write about assault and I don't want to write about um, the terrible things that our society just agrees to let happen. I wanted to write about the that close relationship afterwards between the host and the symbiont and how much they can support each other and, and be there for each other and be the kind of partners that can make up for each other's gaps. Um, but as I keep writing about new host symbiont pairs, I keep running into how does this relationship start in a way that isn't squick? Um, and I book two is pretty squick. Um, book two is a lot darker. It's still getting revised, and so I don't have a practice pitch for it, but I usually talk about it in terms of, you know, book one is a host and a symbiont who meet who are well-matched to each other, but meet in terrible circumstances. And book two is a host and a symbiont that aren't well-matched to each other at all, initially, and meet in better circumstances. Because the more I talk to people, you know, I've been writing, you know, body-possessing aliens since eighth grade. I am unnaturally comfortable with this prospect. And it turns out that a lot of people aren't. And a lot of people will fact check me and go, hmm, your entire readership will tell you that you need a good reason for this host to get a symbiote. And I'm like, but it's fun. And they're like, no, no, bodily I mean, autonomy matters. I imagine this is one of those issues that in popular culture is looked at very differently now than it was looked at when you were in eighth grade. It feels like cultural awareness about consent has um had something of a moment the last several years, half a decade or so. so. I feel like I wasn't very aware enough before to notice that it was lacking. But I also feel like, you know, I struggle with this on the the individual character scale. But it works really, really well on the like macro what is the war about scale. It's easy to say, these guys are the good guys because at least they ask. And that's really a low bar. But it's an important one. Right. It's worth it's worth this uh, centuries spanning war and it's worth dragging entire planets in to try to save themselves and save the rest of humans in the galaxy. Well, they're interesting conceptual problems that you write about. I mean, I understand they're also fun, but they do make for some interesting, thoughtful plots and, and and themes. So I I haven't obviously read your second book since it's still being revised, but I enjoyed your first one tremendously. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. You presented at Starbase Indy in the past. What did you like about Starbase Indy? Okay. So two things um, primarily. I really, really like how intimate Starbase Indy feels. Um, you get a lot of the same people coming back year after year and you get this community building up. And it's so nice to see those people again and catch up with them and be able to just sit in the hall and have a conversation and and not be overwhelmed with it all. Um, but I also really, really like how much Starby Cindy has a, a STEM focus. Um, it's really unique. You know, other cons, they'll have science science tracks or a whole bunch of science panels and they'll have really good speakers. Um, but SBI really weaves it into one coherent celebration. Um, and I would love for it to keep growing like that. Me too. <laughs> Thank you. 
So uh, you're working on your second book. What else are you working on now? Well, so I'm actually not working on the second book. I'm cheating on it. Oh, oh, well, we won't tell it. It knows. Well, did it, maybe it gave you consent. Yeah, it, it needed to rest a bit before it, it the next revision. It needed a break revision. too. You guys are just yeah. taking some space. Right. I'm sure um, you'll heal the relationship eventually. <laughs> oh boy, that relationship. Um, <laughs> um, oh, that's symbiote. Um, I met the one between you and the book. <laughs> still. He's, he's fun. Um, but yeah, so I, I told you that I was working on my Master of Fine Arts I started it um, right at the beginning of 2021 because pandemic, I need something to do with my time now that I'm not, you know, singing at church or playing bass at church or going to cons. Um, and I thought this was a really good opportunity to double down on my craft and learn to write better and faster, hopefully. Um, but they wanted me to start a new book with the program. And I was just about to enter another round of edits for book two when I started drafting book three. So I am revising book three now and revisions are due in April and hopefully they will be in on time. And um, then I can go back to editing the book two story, three story arc because it, there was too much stuff crammed into that book. And the last thing I did on the last round of edits was pulling stuff out into separate stories. And in the meantime, Someone over at another con asked me to write a short story for an anthology. So hopefully that will be coming out too at some point here soon. It's uh, about two years after Rights of Use and about Annette finally finding some friends who accept her on Earth. Excellent. Yes, that's an important thing for human teenagers to have. It, it's, I think it's a little easier for Sarah because she is human, um, you know, everybody looks at her, oh, poor girl, you got kidnapped by aliens, how, how sad for you. And nobody looks at her symbiote and goes, oh, wait, you're a real person too. So. Yeah, all sorts of different challenges. Exactly. So where can people most easily find you on the web? Okay, so most easily is definitely Twitter, at Shannon Eichhorn, E-I-C-H-O-R-N. Um, if you're a Facebook person, I technically have a Facebook page at um, Facebook.com slash author <laughs> Shannon Icorn. No, no, don't <laughs> message me there. I'm never on. The best place to find me is Twitter. Um, mm -hmm. But also a good place to get updates is on my newsletter, which you can find at blog.shannonicorn.com. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Starbase Indie Podcast. To find more information about our live event this November, check us out at starbaseindie.org or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. See you on the Starbase.